Last summer, we were staring down some big changes as a church. We had been worshiping in a warehouse on Ashby for six and a half years, and it was about to go under redevelopment, rendering us without a physical space to gather and worship in. Uh, Frankly, as a leader, I was terrified on the inside. That physical space had become a bit of a security blanket for me. It was known. It was stable. It was sure, steady, predictable. And I had this countdown for the amount of days that we had left in the space. And as the countdown got less and less, I would feel anxiety more and more. And I was anxious because I wasn't sure what the future of our church looked like. Um, And the idea of finding a new space that could house our church, transition into it, make all the changes, move out of the old space, all of that, that thought just overwhelmed me. Uh, In His kindness, the Lord gave me an obscure Old Testament scripture to kind of ground me and encourage me. And I want to show it to you in a moment. God gave us the ability to use an incredible space at Hawthorne Academy, which was literally across the street from the old warehouse that we had been in for six and a half years. And we began worshiping there on the first Sunday of 2020. We thought, new decade, new season, new space, 2020 is going to be amazing. Oh, how we had high hopes for the year. After we made the transition, I remember looking for grief in me and in others since, after all, we were experiencing a loss of sorts. We lost the ability to rent this warehouse, and this change of public space was kind of the most significant change in our church's history. And I was kind of encouraged by an older pastor to watch for the grief of our congregation as we went through this change. To my surprise, I never saw the grief. Uh, The move was amazing. Uh, There was a lot of work to do, but for the most part, the transition went smooth. And I have heard no one say, wow, I really miss the warehouse and the roaches we saw on a weekly basis there. Uh, I've heard no one say, I miss that one bathroom we all had to share. We settled into Hawthorne nicely. We loved the 24 bathrooms available to us. I appreciated the natural light that was abundant. We had lots of room for our kids' ministry to expand. It seemed that we were just getting the hang of things there when spring break came, along with COVID-19 and these little beauties that we've all come to love, masks. As we experienced this massive disruption in the last six months, I've begun to understand that maybe the grounding scripture the Lord gave me 14 months ago was not for the move at the end of 2019 into Hawthorne at the beginning of this year, but maybe it was for this season of disruption and crisis that we're in. The scripture that I want to share with you today is Isaiah 43. I've grown up in church my entire life, and I've never heard one sermon or one Bible study on this chapter in Isaiah. And so I'd like to read it together. And if you could, um, I'd love for you to read it aloud with me. We're going to read from the New Living Translation because I like how it phrases it. And so let's read from Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. They say, But now, O Jacob... Listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. 
When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. This is the word of our Lord. Today, we're going to talk about the future of our church. Usually, we call days like today Vision Sunday, and they're meant to get kind of everyone on the same page as we move into a new season of ministry. I want to primarily apply this text to the context of the changes and pivots and innovations that we need to do and make as a collective body, as a church. But also, I think there's probably many difficult things in your life right now. I know there are in mine. And you can take and easily apply the scripture of Isaiah 43 to your personal situation. And I just want to encourage you to do that. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? Because the maker of the mountains has ransomed us. He's purchased us. We belong to him. Do not be afraid. Why? Because he's called us by name. Because we are his. It says, when you go through deep waters. When, not if, when. Do not be afraid of the deep waters. Why? Because he is with us. When you go through rivers of difficulty. Rivers of difficulty, how's that for the name of a river? Have you ever seen a sign that says the river of difficulty is half a mile up the road? Do not be afraid of the rivers of difficulty. Why? Because he has said, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, do not be afraid of the fire of oppression. Why? Because he says, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. And I love that that's a command there. You will not. The King James says, thou shalt not be burned. What a command. Whenever I start to feel anxious or afraid, whenever I'm kind of overcome with worry, whenever I feel like I'm drowning in the rivers of difficulty, both personally and professionally as a pastor, I, I pull out Isaiah 43 and I remind myself of this promise that you will not drown. You will not be burned up. You will not be consumed because God is with you. He's with me. He's with us. This has truly been an anchoring point for me over the last 14 months. And I just want to offer it to you no matter what you're going through. Perhaps Isaiah 43 could be not just an anchoring point for our church, not just for me, but also for you in whatever river of difficulty that you're going through right now. Let's talk about the future of our church. This is uh, our church. It's not my church. It's our church. We are called Gathering Midtown. The official legal name of our church is the Gathering Church of San Antonio. We are the Gathering Church. But because of this pandemic, we are more scattered than we are gathered. Uh, My principal goal today is to communicate a way for us to be gathered together in at least a common understanding and a common vision of what our future together in ministry could look like. Uh, We might not be able to gather publicly in mass right now as we're accustomed to, but Um, Maybe we can still be gathered together in heart and in prayer and purpose in some form of worship and and really also in mission. 
Uh, in a moment, we'll get to the what and how of the future, but first we have to look at the why. Why are we here as a church? Why are we a church? Uh, in other words, what's our mission? Why do we exist? Um, if you limited me to only two or three words to describe our mission, I'd say to build people. Building people is the job. Building people is the job. We have in our office a, um, a room and there's a huge whiteboard in there and real big I have written out and it's been this way for over six or seven months. It just says, building people is the job. And it's a reminder to me and our staff and our leaders that our job is not to build the church. Our job is not to build uh, an organization. Our job is not even to grow the church. Our job is to build and grow people. Jesus talking to Peter, uh, when Peter had that great confession that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus said that he would build the church. Jesus would build the church. And he predicted growth. He predicted success. He predicted victory. He said the gates of hell won't prevail. And then in the Great Commission, he told us to go and build people, to go and make disciples, to baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and Spirit, and to teach them the ways of Jesus. Often pastors and, and churches tend to flip the script and they they want Jesus to build people and to minister to people and they want to build the church. But the Bible I read, it says Jesus builds the church and our job is to build people. So uh, we would kind of just summarize our mission into those two words, build people, invest in people, lead people, serve people, uh, love people. Uh, it, it is, it's about God, um, but the mission he's given us is for his people. Our official mission statement is to love and lead people to joyful discipleship in Jesus, to love and lead people, to love and build people, to love and serve people, to love and disciple people, to love and invest in people. You, you get the idea. Everything we do comes down to loving and leading people into joyful discipleship in Jesus. I have a, a filing cabinet in my office and, and it's about this full of just stacks of paper over the last eight years. And everyone is like some encouragement someone has mailed to me or emailed me or gave me. And at the end of the day, you can describe all of them as, hey, thank you for loving me and leading me to joyfully follow Jesus. That is our mission. It's, it's the thing that I wake up every morning at 5.30 a.m. to do, to give my time and attention to, to love and build people so that they will become more like Jesus. This crisis has given us an incredible opportunity to reimagine and pivot how we accomplish our mission of loving and leading people to joyful discipleship in Jesus, to build people. The mission hasn't changed, but, but how we do it um, has changed, or the, the, the um, rules on how we can do it have changed. Um, I don't know how the spring was for you, but March, April, and May were very dark months for me. In the isolation, I felt powerless, like there was not a whole lot that I could do about anything. And the question I kept asking myself for several months was a survival question I was asking, both personally and as a leader, uh, how do we just not die? Um, literally, like with COVID, how do we not die? And also with our church, how do we not die? Uh, this crisis has accelerated a lot of decline in churches, and a lot of churches are closing their doors. And I've often wondered, is our church dead? Is our church going to close our doors? Uh, I don't even know who's still with us. And in June, something changed in me. 
Uh, I, I took some time off and I retreated to my happy place in Colorado with my family, the rest. And while it was hundred degrees here, it was like sixties there, it was amazing. And God always speaks to me in the mountains. And while I was there, I was convicted about asking the wrong question. And I repented and I stopped asking the question, how do we survive and not die? And I started asking a better question. I started asking, how can we thrive and grow? I stopped seeing this crisis as a threat, and I started seeing it as an opportunity. And that was really hard and difficult to do, but I was able to do it. And I started to ask, what if people came to know Jesus through our ministry in this season? What if we had to figure out how to do water baptism in a pandemic because people were coming to faith in this time? I mean, those kinds of questions excite me. The, the idea that, that we could lead people to Jesus and then have to figure out a way to safely do baptism, whether it's by actually dunking them or, or throwing a water balloon at them or something, you know, that's a joke. But like that excites me. Like that gets me out of the, the, sur- the survival mentality and it gets me into a thriving mentality. If our mission is to love and lead people to joyful discipleship in Jesus, then what if we collectively asked the question, in this pandemic, how could we pivot to love and lead more people to joyful discipleship in Jesus? Instead of shrinking back in this crisis, what if God is asking us to lean in and lead forward in this crisis? I'm really excited about the potential answers to those kinds of questions. There's many obstacles in the way, and um, really a lot to still discern and figure out. But the, the first obstacle that we need to clear is the obstacle of understanding what the church is and what the church isn't. There's a lot of goofy and ungodly views of the church floating around out there. And so we first need to spend some time getting on the same page of, in the New Testament, what's a church? Um, and I want to ask you, what comes into your mind's eye when I say the word church? Uh, Specifically, if I uh, asked you to describe, define, or draw a picture of church to someone, how would you do that? If I gave you a uh, a pen and paper and said, you have five seconds to draw church, what would you draw? You'd probably draw, you know, like a square with a roof with like a steeple on top and maybe a door and some people walking in. And what's interesting is if you ask this question to uh, someone who doesn't know Jesus, someone who doesn't follow Jesus, that's probably the picture they draw. They would draw a church building with a pitched roof and a steeple. And if you didn't think of a church building with a steeple, you probably thought of a Sunday morning service or a worship service housed in a building. Most people, believers and non-believers, would define church to be one of two things, either a building or a worship service housed in a building. And we reinforce this with our language when we say things like, did you go to church today? As if church were a building or a service. The problem with this view of church, of course, is the Bible. In the New Testament, the Greek word most often used for church is the word ekklesia. Ekklesia is literally the assembly of God's people or the congregating of God's people, which is why we use the word congregation. Some translations call the ecclesia of God the gathering of God's people. It's one of the um, reasons why we named our church, the, the, what we named it, is that we are literally the gathering of God in Midtown in San Antonio. We are a gathering church. We are the ecclesia of God. 
Now, the, the translation from the Greek word ekklesia to the English word church isn't inherently a bad translation. There's nothing wrong with the, the letter C-H-U-R-C-H. Um, but because of what we've attached to the word church, because of what Christendom over the last 1700 years has added to the definition of church, um, the translation from ecclesia to church breaks down because we've morphed what the word C-H-U-R-C-H means. Um, ecclesia is not primarily a building or a service. Here's the question, and here's the main point of today. What do you need to have or need to do to be a New Testament ecclesia? Uh, to use snobby scholarly language, we'd ask, what are the irreducible minimums for ecclesia? Or to say it in baking terms that I can understand, if, if ecclesia were a cake, what are the main ingredients that you must have to bake the cake of ecclesia or church? And it turns out there's like five ingredients to ecclesia. There's five irreducible minimums. There's there's just five ingredients to the cake. And the great news for us today is you don't have to have a building to have ecclesia. In fact, for the first 300 years, the ecclesia of the New Testament, the, the church didn't have a building and it was illegal to have mass services until uh, Constantine legalized Christianity in the early 300s. Behind the scenes, we've been asking this question for the past three or four months in this pandemic. What must we have and what must we do to be a New Testament gathering or a New Testament ecclesia or a New Testament church? The ingredients you need are first, the gospel, second, covenant community, third, worship, fourth, fellowship, and fifth, mission. That's it. Those are the five ingredients. You need the gospel, you need covenant community, you need that community to worship, fellowship, and do mission. That's all you need to be an ecclesia according to the New Testament. I'm a visual learner, so here's how I draw it out. Uh, you have the gospel in the center, and then surrounding the gospel is a covenant community. Not fans, not consumers, not followers, not a crowd, covenant community, a community who is dedicated to one another through the good, the bad, and the ugly, through the highs and lows. When, when people change churches like they change socks, they don't understand what New Testament covenant community is. They function more like uh, consumers, uh, and American consumers at that. This gospel-centered covenant community has to do th at least three things. The, the first is that they worship the second is they fellowship. The third is they engage with God's mission to the broken and hurting world that he died for. Um, how I would articulate it to my children is that this gospel-centered covenant community, they reach up to God in worship. They reach in to one another in, in fellowship, and they reach out to their neighbors and to their world in love. Uh, the gospel surrounded by a covenant community reaches up reaches in, reaches out. That is New Testament church. That is ecclesia. That is what it means to be literally the gathering of God. Now, if you want to get a little bit even nerdy here, you can overlay the great commandments here. Love God, love your neighbor. That's reaching up. Reaching up is loving God. Reaching in and out is loving your neighbor. And you can see the great commission here, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Spirit, teaching them the ways of Jesus. That's reaching in and out. And then you also see what a lot of people don't think of, 
the great requirement. We are familiar with the great commission and we're familiar with the great commandments, but some people aren't familiar with the great requirement in Micah 6, 8 to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's reaching out and it's reaching in. Here's the good news for us. We don't own property. We rent a public school, or we have rented. We haven't had to pay rent, thankfully. From the outside, it might look like our church, our ecclesia, is in a vulnerable position. The place we rent is a school, and a lot of people don't want to walk into schools right now for good reason. But I don't think we're vulnerable. I think we actually have an advantage. We don't have a financial mortgage we're enslaved to that would influence us to rush back to uh, regathering when we're not sure if this crisis is, is fully over. As a church, we are agile and we're flexible right now. We can pivot, and in a crisis, the ability to flex and to have agility is a superpower. And by God's grace, we have that superpower. Thank God. We've come to the conclusion that for at least the rest of 2020, we're not going to rush back to regather in public like we used to. I hope that in 2021, we can go back to Hawthorne. We're not ready to give up on that space. We love that space and still feel like God's called us to eventually worship in that space. But as long as we're staring down a health crisis, as long as we're not sure what numbers are and what's going to happen in the cold and flu season, what's going to happen when schools regather, what's going to happen when people get more and more comfortable, um, until this is really in the rearview mirror and most of our church feels comfortable meeting in mass again, we have to figure out a way to kind of unpack our bags. We have to figure out a way to move forward in this season instead of just being frozen and remaining in a holding pattern. And so this is why we ask the question, in this season, in this crisis, in this pandemic, how can we do more of our mission, not less of our mission? How can we build more people, not less people? So uh, primarily, let's talk about how we can innovate and how we can pivot the functions of worship reaching up, fellowship reaching in, and mission reaching out. Worship, the first thing. Um, online church has been great. Um, Candidly, I never wanted to do virtual church. We've had people ask us in the past to do online streaming while we were in a physical space. And I just, that was never my bag. I did not want to be on YouTube. I, I didn't want to do anything like that. But this uh, crisis has really opened my eyes to really see the internet and social media and, and platforms like YouTube as kind of the, the next great kind of um, disruption in communication um, for the last 500 years. You know, we had the printing press that did that. And I think the internet and social media is doing that right now. And the church should embrace that. We should have kind of a hybrid approach. I don't believe we should go fully digital. I think you can't out local, local ministry. And so um, we'll always be a local ministry, but we've been kind of forced to um, bring our message and our, our disciple making and our building people online. And I've been blown away by how many people we've reached almost every week. This week we had two um, people who are new that we don't even know their names or what they look like email in and say, hey, I've been watching for a month or I've been watching for two months or, or I've never loved church, but I'm, I'm really searching right now. Almost every week we hear from people that we don't even know who are watching. And some in other states, it's been really incredible. And now while we've been in that, that spot, We've heard from many of you saying you, you miss each other, you miss seeing each other's faces, and that you would be comfortable and interested in doing something kind of in a home. Um, I know 
Uh, I've not met hardly anybody who said they are comfortable being around 160 other people. But um, most people, not all for good reason, but for, for most people, there's been a lot of, yeah, they'd love to go in a backyard on a Sunday or a Saturday. They'd love to go in the front yard. They'd love to go in a large living room. And, and many have already started doing that even without us. So um, next week, we're going to launch this idea we've been talking about all summer called micro gatherings. And they're not micro churches because we are defining ecclesia as more than a Sunday and more than a worship. They are micro gatherings. They are micro um, uh, kind of congregating um, on on the weekend. Um, a lot of them will be Saturday night outside when the sun goes down. We put a projector on the fence, and that that's kind of exciting. Some of them will be in large living rooms. Um, and, uh, we've got about, I think anywhere from 10 to 15 right now that are about to kick up. Uh, my hope is to have about 20 of these, but even on the low end of 10 of these, if we have 10 people or less, that gives us the ability like, like that to have a hundred people in 10 different sites, um, gathered together in a safe, socially distant way and gives us the ability to, um, start to celebrate communion again, which I've, which I've missed. So, um, if that's of interest to you, I'd love for you to go to our website. And if you'd love to host one or join one, there's links there for you to engage with that. Um, we'll probably trip through this a little bit and we'll, we'll get it going. But I'm really excited to really um, allow the body to, to be the body and to minister to one another and to build one another in this way. So that kind of kicks off next weekend. And um, and we'll keep adding micro gatherings as, as they come up. That's going to be kind of a great innovation on how we do worship. For, clar for clarification, we'll still continue doing our YouTube thing um, as it is. So if you have to um, kind of isolate or quarantine or you don't, you don't feel comfortable going to a house, that's totally fine. We're, we'll have kind of a hybrid approach where you can do um, the YouTube worship, but you can um, also go to a micro gathering if, if you want that, that thing. Well, what I would encourage you, no matter what you do, is to answer the question, how do you worship the Lord? Um, and, uh, and that's kind of one of the burdens that I have is, is in this disruption, um, I'm afraid that, that people are going to lessen their view of worship. It's not about a service. It's not about a church. It's, it really is about giving God what he deserves, which is worship. So I just want to ask you that pastorally is in this season, how are you weekly worshiping? And, and that's not, you know, like your devotion. That's something completely different. I want encourage you to think about how do you worship? The next area we can innovate on and build out is our fellowship, our reaching in, uh, kind of one of the primary um, ways we do discipleship and, and teach others the way of Jesus. Uh, historically, we've done that with gospel communities, and those will continue. And, and next year, the beginning of next year, we're looking at um, doing another training for leaders to, to expand our gospel communities. But it, this... this um, this digital revolution we're part of gives us the ability to do discipleship and fellowship um, in, in ways that we might not be able to do it. Um, this summer, we, we just did a thing called the marriage course, and we hope to do that again coming up. We jumped on with another church who was facilitating it, so it made it easy for us. I think I announced it once or twice, and like that, we had 12 marriages sign up, say, hey, I need some help in this area, and they did it through Zoom. And it was um, it was helpful. There's a lot of things we can improve on it, 
But this has us thinking in this pandemic, I mean, marriages have been under so much stress. And so how do we um, help and build marriages in this time? Um, another thing is, is FPU, Financial Peace University. We're thinking through how can we help um, people walk through um, budgeting and, and getting out of debt and, and being a good steward of the finances God's given. And we can do that you know, at least digitally, maybe in person. And so that's kind of an area that we've been thinking through. Uh, something that's been on um, the back burner that we've started to bring to the front burner is is having a recovery ministry. We've um, never had that. I've always kind of wanted to do that. But in the last year, um, God's really put that burden on Jake's heart. And we've begun the process of kind of d- um, doing some research on things like Celebrate Recovery and other um avenues that are out there. But um, next year at the beginning of 21, we're going to start to kind of turn that up a little bit and figure out what would it look like for Gathering Midtown to have a recovery ministry, whether that's uh, like sexual recovery or abuse recovery or substance recovery or just general recovery. Like we're all a mess. There's a lot of us aren't honest about it. And so that's that's a, a ministry, a, a part of fellowship, a part of loving one another that I'm really excited that's kind of coming um, off the back burner, on the front burner. We don't have details to announce, but I want you to know that's the way we're thinking. And if that like kind of pings your heart, if, that, if your radar is pinging right now and you're like, man, I'd love to be a part of that. I need that or I want to help lead that, please reach out to us. Let us know. We're in the very early prayer and um, kind of discernment part of that. The the thing that I do want to announce and give some language to is a a huge effort in discipleship that's been um, kind of behind the scenes, silent and quiet for the last year. And that is how we disciple people through, um, through dealing with racism and, and reconciliation, and, and primarily doing it through a gospel-centered lens. God's given us some great people who have huge hearts in this. And, and for the last year, since I think it was last August, uh, Adriana and Tiff and Catherine have been primarily just thinking and praying and dreaming on this. And they've been meeting, um, I think, monthly or a little bit more frequent than that in the last 13 months to try to discern, okay, what does this look like for us? And in March, um, we were supposed to have a meeting to work through this. And then COVID shut everything down and we, we didn't meet in person because of this. And it's kind of held there in, in March. And we were trying to figure out, okay, what do we do in this March? And then in May, when um, things really boiled to a surface and, and just really kind of went, went public, it, there was like, yeah, God has been preparing us for, for these many months prior to this becoming the cultural thing right now. And um, it's more than a fad for us. This is a gospel. This is a witness issue for us. And so we have um, landed on a content that, that's from a group called Be the Bridge. And we originally wanted to launch Be the Bridge groups uh, next week, along with Vision Sunday. And, but we felt convicted that we as leaders first needed to go through it. I, I don't feel um, that it would be right to ask you to consider doing kind of the deep internal work on do you have racial biases if I don't first do it, if Jake doesn't first do it, if Tiff and Adriana and others don't first do it. And so we've been, um, I think we're about five weeks right now into this beta group. We thought we were going to rush through it and like double up on the weeks so that we could launch it. And as we got into it, it was like, this is heavy. This is slow. This requires a lot of work and we can't rush it. 
And so we're kind of postponing launching the official first Be The Bridge group to uh, January of 21. And so um, I'm really excited about what that's going to do for our church, what that's do for you. I've heard so many people ask me, Drew, how do we think about this in a Jesus-centered way? And we're working on it, and we've got some incredible stuff coming down, um, coming down the pipeline on that. If you haven't heard of Be The Bridge, you should check them out. They're amazing. They are a nonprofit organization whose goal is to equip the church to have a distinctive and transformative uh, response, not reaction, but a response to racism and racial division. And the curriculum will demonstrate how biblical principles such as lamentation and confession and forgiveness can lay the framework for restoration. I have personally not found anything better, anything more gospel-centered, anything more spirit-filled, and anything more honest than Be The Bridge. I highly recommend you grab their book, start reading it, learn about them. They are incredible. And I'm so excited to be able to share their work with you pretty soon. This fall, Tiff and I have been working on um, an official church uh, anti-racism statement. Actually, we started it in May. And we've gone through so many drafts and versions of it. And we've just felt this rush to, to get it right and to react. And just haven't felt like um, like we've had a comprehensive, well, calm, measured thing to put in front of you. And we've been getting a lot of questions, appropriately so. And so I just want you to know we're working on that. Um, in this age of outrage we live in, it's tempting for me to just react. And um, but we're trying our best to discern how to respond, not react, in godliness and in wisdom, but also in courage and, and kind of in, in prophecy. And it's just taking more time than I personally would want. But I want you to know that, that soon um, we will publish a, a section on our website that is all about this, that has kind of what we believe from the Bible. Um, we don't uh, really get into the partisan politics of it all. Uh, unfortunately, politics has hijacked this, this sin. And I think the church has an opportunity to grab it back and say, no, this is what the Lord says of this. Um, we're going to provide a litany of recommendations on resources to engage with, books, movies, podcasts, leaders, organizations to follow, to get to know, to support. Um, everyone has a, a real visceral opinion on this subject, um, and rightly so. It's very, very important. We fought wars over this stuff. Um, but we, we decided we're just not going to allow CNN or Fox News, or social media, or the anger of the flesh to lead and influence in discipling our church on this matter. Uh, we believe Jesus has a lot to say about racism. We believe the Bible has a lot to say about racism. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of proclaiming freedom to the captives, to binding up the wounds of the brokenhearted, to bring freedom and love to the oppressed. We serve a God who's a God of justice. And it's the church's God-given responsibility to lead the way and disciple in this area. And it's uncomfortable for a lot of people, particularly conservatives like me. It's uncomfortable, but we throw, we throw the, the partisan politics out the window and we want to first say, God, what do you say about this? And how are you calling us to repent even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's hard, even when it's confusing at times? So I'm, I'm super excited about the work God's going to do here, how it's going to really um, equip our church to be who God's called us to be. 
kind of the last portion here of, you know, we have worship, we have fellowship, we also have mission. Uh, we think of reaching out as joining the mission of God in three ways, at least. Uh, those are evangelism, mercy ministry, and justice ministry. Um, evangelism, we're, we're thinking of starting an Alpha program. Um, Alpha is probably one of the greatest programs right now in evangelism. And um, we can do it uh, digitally through Zoom. The, the people who who created Alpha in HTB in London um, are starting two Alpha programs every Wednesday. Every Wednesday, they start two new programs. There's such a need and openness to learn about the person of Jesus. And so we're um, kind of that program really rises and falls on leadership and 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 the ability to host it. So we're praying. I've been praying for over over two years for God to kind of raise up someone in our congregation who's who's passionate about evangelism and who would love to kind of pioneer this aspect of our mission through the Alpha program. So if if that's you, I'd love for you to pray about it and raise your hand, email me. Let, let's start a conversation of how we can engage mission and evangelism through the Alpha program. Um, the other uh, part of mission is mercy ministry. For I think six years, we've done Snack Pack as our primary mercy ministry. As I shared last week, the school district has kind of closed the door for us to be able to do Snack Pack, but we have 100% funding for it and the need for it has gone up. So we're praying through, God, how do we continue this mercy ministry just in a different avenue and maybe we bypass the school altogether. So we're praying about that. I want to ask you to pray about that and join us in that. And the kind of the, the last portion of, of kind of mission ministry is justice. Um, we heard recently of a, a friend of ours who has an atheist friend and has been really antagonistic to the faith. And this, this atheist friend um, texted my friend and said, if the church would step up, it would, it would remove every argument that atheists have, basically, is what he was saying. And the world is watching us. The world is watching how we love our brothers, sisters, the world is watching whether we're good Samaritans or not. And, you know, uh, justice isn't just this, um, or the be the bridge groups. It's just not this thing over here in like fellowship. And it's not just this thing. A few people are passionate about. It is part of the great requirement of Micah six, eight. It is part of the way we witness to the world is that this is our gospel. Our, our gospel touches this issue and proclaims good news. And so we're, we're looking at that as an ecclesia who is centered on the gospel, covenant community surrounding it. How in this season can we worship, look up? How can we um, fellowship, look in? And how can we do mission, look out and reach out? I want to encourage you to help us to join us. Uh, I don't have all the answers to this. I'm just kind of penciling out the framework of how we've been asking these questions and, and thinking. And so finally, I just want to ask you to do one thing. All right. Engage. Engage with Ecclesia. Uh, engage with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Engage with covenant community. Uh, do you have a consumer mentality when it comes to church or ecclesia? Are you here only as long as you agree with everything? Are you here only as long as you're, as you're comfortable? Do you have a consumer mentality or are you a covenant partner? Are you a covenant community? Are you here um, and, until God speaks to you and calls you somewhere else, which he does do, but those are for very good reasons and not for selfish reasons. Um, in this pandemic, have you leaned into covenant community or have you leaned out of covenant community? And I would just ask you as a pastor to engage with that. 
How are you doing? Are you running from community or are you engaging in covenant community? With worship, engage with worship. Um, if you're able to join a micro gathering, I want to ask you to consider that. As long as it's not a risk for you and as long as it's not like overly um, uncomfortable for you, I don't want to ask you to do something that's not wise. But if it would be wise for you to join a micro gathering, I want to ask you to do that. If you have the ability to host one, um, I want to ask you to lean into that and, and raise your hand, email us, let us know. Um, and if you can't go to a micro gathering, I just want to ask you to engage by scheduling a time to worship and keep it. Let's not forget that we worship on Sunday because it's the Lord's day. It's the resurrection day. It's Sunday is a day that we celebrate and remember the resurrection of Jesus primarily. And my heart is saddened by so many people who have just thrown worship out because they can go to brunch now. Engage with worship, schedule a time, um, do the hard work of discipline on that because it's not about what you get. It's about what you give to God. Worship is like the only thing out of like church that God gets. He's on the receiving end of worship. And I want to encourage you, if you've not engaged with worship, to engage somehow, some way with worship and to make that a priority of your life. With fellowship, I want to ask you to engage with fellowship. Uh, don't isolate. And, and specifically, if anything, to think about engaging would be the bridge. Uh, and finally, with mission. Engage with our mission. Uh, think about what it would look like to be a part of an alpha group whenever we, whenever we roll those out. Or maybe God's calling you to help us lead and form and pioneer that. Um, with Snack Pack, maybe God's calling you to help uh, do mission with Snack Pack because things are going to have to change. Um, I want to ask you to think about that, to pray. How is God calling you to engage with the mission of His church? Finally, would you allow us as a church to love you, to lead you to joyful discipleship in Jesus. And also, would you lean in, would you lean forward, and would you love someone else and help lead, serve, invest in someone else to joyful discipleship in Jesus? We may be in a pandemic, we may be in a health crisis, but needs have never been more than right now. And I feel more than anything that God is calling us to lean in, not lean out. He's not done with us. Our greatest days are ahead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you. We love you. And I ask that you would help our hearts to respond to you, not me, not ideas of man, but to you with a resounding, yes, Lord. Just like Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Lord, we say that to you. I pray that to everyone who's watching right now, listening in, you would clarify what it means to be your church in this crisis. Lord, help us to believe the gospel, to receive the gospel, to take your gospel in all of its radical and scandalous implications. Help us to put your gospel centered and God, I ask you'd help um, and equip a way, empower a way for a covenant community to surround the gospel. Not consumers, not fans, not a crowd, not subscribers, not followers, a covenant community. And Lord, I ask you would lead us and direct us in how to worship you, 
how to fellowship and disciple one another and love on one another and practice the 59 one another's you lay out in scripture. And God, help us to reach out to the world you love and that you died for, whether it's through evangelism or mercy ministry or justice ministry. Lord, we just, we want to be your church. We want to be your people. Come Holy Spirit, enable us, empower us, anoint us for this new season of joining you in what you're doing, that we might just jump on your bandwagon and go along for the ride. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Finally, let's pray as our Lord taught us to pray, saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.